0: You're listening to Sermons by the Park, the weekly podcast from Union Congregational Church in East Walpole, Massachusetts. I'm Pastor Aaron Shepard, and our current sermon series is called Miraculous. We're turning to the stories told in Scripture of Jesus' seemingly impossible deeds, like turning water into wine, walking across the surface of a lake, even saving the soul of a sinner. If you've ever wondered what to believe about these strange things, if you've ever wondered how could this be or what it could mean for us who live in a world that seems to be devoid of such miraculous things, well, I invite you to listen and to wonder. Here's this week's message.
1: Our first scripture reading today is from Psalms, Psalm 23, familiar. It is the psalm of assurance and peace. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely, surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. May God also add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of this word. Praise God.
0: Our second scripture reading this morning comes to us from Matthew's gospel in the 14th chapter, verses 22 through 33. Let's continue to listen for God's word of peace and assurance for us here today. Immediately he, Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was there alone. But by this time, the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It's a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you... Command me to come to you on the water. So he said, Come. And Peter got out of the boat and started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, Ah, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the word of God for us here today. Thanks be to God. We you join me now in a moment of prayer? Let us pray. Gracious God, this morning we ask your blessing in your presence here, that this word may live in us, that we may be prompted again to wonder at the mysteries of this faith. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts here be acceptable, even pleasing in your sight, O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. I have seen a stone sink before. Who hasn't? I've also seen a stone skip before, but I have never with my own eyes seen a stone float. But in August of 2019, near the Pacific island nation of Tonga, 1.1 billion square feet of the surface of the ocean was covered with floating stones, Vomited out of the mouth of an undersea volcano, these apple-sized stones had hurtled up through the water column in a superheated plume until they had broken the surface and blossomed into what oceanographers and geologists refer to as a pumice raft. These oceanographic oddities appear every few years, but have only recently been spotted with any regularity, sometimes by uh, sailors, sometimes by people in commercial airlines flying over, and, and sometimes with satellite images. Now, because of the volcanic activity in the South Pacific, pumice rafts have surely been a thing for thousands of years, even if it's something we may never have heard about. But the interesting question about these floating stones was not whether they existed or not. The interesting question was how pumice stones float. Scientists at UC Berkeley in 2017 uh, used an advanced x-ray machine that was capable of rendering detailed images down to the thousandth of a millimeter. And they used this x-ray machine to, to map the internal structure. Of a pumice stone that had been recovered from one of these rafts, one of these large pumice stones. Now, Before this, scientists had guessed, they had hypothesized that pumice stones floated because inside the rocks were little closed pockets of gases, that when the rocks were being formed in the volcanic womb below the sea, they had the gas trapped inside them and that's what made them buoyant. These pockets then would serve as tiny onboard water wings for the little stones, but the problem with that theory was that it doesn't make sense to the fact that eventually pumice rafts break apart and the stones sink. The investigators at UC Berkeley figured out, thanks to their x-rays and their analyses, that the openings that we can see in the outside of a pumice stone are not just little craters. In fact, most of them are created. Some of them are microscopic. We can't even see them. Some are less than a hair's width in diameter. But for the most part, all of these little interconnected uh, passages through the rock are open-ended, meaning that those little water wings inside the, the stone don't have any caps on them. So how could they float? And the answer, the hypothesis that the scientists came up with, is that the answer is surface tension. Surface tension is the peculiar way in which the uppermost layer of water molecules will bind themselves together just a little bit more tightly than other water molecules do. And it turns out that surface tension between the water and the stones acts almost like a seal on the outside of these little Passages trapping gas inside the stones in those little microscopic passageway. It turns out that the buoyancy of the stone does not come from down below. it comes from the water hugging the stone there at the surface. Surface tension is also what allows leaves to fall from trees and, and sit on the surface of the pond, or for little water skimmers to, to, to rest there. You can even rest a paper clip on a still glass of water, even though paper clips are denser than the water they sit on. This is because of surface temperature, or surface tension. But the thing about surface tension is if you break it, if you stir up the water, then the, the effect goes away and the paper clip will sink. And so, you know, despite the fact that you have... 50 square miles of pumice stones floating across the ocean. Eventually, the wind and the waves will, will cause enough breakage that they will start to sink one by one. Surface tension also accounts for the phenomenon of the green basilisk, the common lizard that lives in Central and South America that can literally run across the surface of a pond when called upon to do so, they move at upwards of five feet per second with their little web feet just going like crazy across the top of the water. It's amazing if you, you can look up the slow motion videos of these of these creatures running. They're called Jesus lizards. <laughs> Floating rocks, Jesus lizards, even the leaves on the pond outside here. It's a wonder that we live in such a world where we can find such strange and wondrous things. And wonder is what this story we heard today is about. It's what the word miracle refers to. A word comes from a Latin translation of the Greek word thalma, which is the word John, John's gospel uses to describe what Jesus does. In John's gospel it says Jesus did many signs and wonders. A miracle is an experience of wonder. And I mean that in both senses of the term wonder. There is the kind of wonder where we say, wow, where we stand back in awe from something. But also we wonder when we lean in, we scratch our chins and say, hmm, how does that work? Miracles work in both of these ways, causing us to be overawed and curious at the same time. And this week during our Bible study, we had some fun speculating about how exactly it was that Jesus walked across the water. We wondered about it. There's an old Farside uh, cartoon that depicts Jesus walking on the water towards the boat, and there are two other people standing on the shore in the foreground, and one turns to the other and says, it's easy enough if you know where the rocks are. <laughs> one of the translations we heard during our Bible study identifies the disciples' boat as being positioned 300 yards offshore, an oddly specific number. Uh, But 300 yards, is that's a long way, but it's not an impossible distance. Perhaps the water was shallow out to that point. It only looked as though Jesus was walking across the surface of the water. But the artful translation here actually doesn't reflect the original text, where it says very much, they were out to sea. They were far off from the land. So that explanation may be not so plausible after all. So how then? How did Jesus walk on the water? To the modern mind informed by empirical data and scientific experiment, to the modern mind who understands displacement and surface tension and the, and the interaction of water molecules with the human body, the only plausible answer is that Jesus did not walk on the water, that this was either some sort of collective hallucination or just a story that someone made up. Last week, we heard about how Jesus rebuked a storm on the very same sea, and how this act calls to mind the Psalms' description of God's power over the sea, and indeed how God moved over the chaotic deep at creation. And of course, the Psalms and that creation narrative are a metaphor, a metaphor for God's power over creation, and perhaps then here too, Jesus walking on the water. That too is a metaphor. A narrative bridge to connect Jesus, the Son, to God, the Father, the Creator, and the Savior. That this is just a poetic device to indicate to us a theological truth. But to say this is how Jesus walked on the water is basically the same as saying Jesus didn't really walk on water. Then again, all of this talk of how such a thing could occur always comes with an explicit, implicit answer to a prior question, namely whether such a thing is even possible in the first place. C.S. Lewis begins his book called Miracles by defining a miracle as an interference with nature by a supernatural power. Unless there exists, in addition to nature, he goes on to say, something else which we may call the supernatural, then there can be no such thing as a miracle. One who believes that there is no such thing as the supernatural is called a naturalist. A naturalist uh, may believe that there are indeed strange things in this world, like floating rocks and lizards that can run across the water, or that there may be even more strange phenomena out there in the universe that we can't even imagine. The universe is, after all, vast. But ultimately, the naturalist believes that all things are, at least in principle, explainable in terms of the closed system of nature and its laws that we come to understand through physics and biology and other scientific pursuits. To be a practical and modern person is often tacitly to be a naturalist, to believe that there is an explanation for everything that will surely be intelligible to us in good time. The old world in which scripture was written, that was a world of angels and demons and ghosts and fear at thunder and lightning. Today, sensible people know that we are the ones in control of nature, and so we should be skeptical of such supernatural Things, And I think this attitude is why we tend to gravitate toward the second part of this story. Even if we don't really know what to do with the first part. Towards the narrative of Peter getting out of the boat. Even after Jesus had called out to his disciples and assured them it, that it was not a ghost. That, that it was him. That's really him. Peter. Peter still calls out. He says, If it is you, Lord, if it is you, then command me to come across the water to you. Always the skeptic. Peter didn't just want an explanation here, Peter wanted Jesus to prove it. He wanted Jesus to give him a demonstration because the proof of any truth is always in the doing, it's in the experiment. So Peter asks Jesus for proof. In doing so, though, he does not just modern, uh, echo our modern tendency, but he also echoes the words that were used to tempt Jesus in the wilderness. There, Satan, God's adversary, comes to Jesus three times, and every time offers a challenge to Jesus, and he always begins it the same way. He says, if you are the Son of God, then do X, or do Y, or do Z. If you are the Son of God. And each time Jesus denies the devil's request, artfully dodging this attempt to defy the will of God for him. He doesn't need to prove himself to the adversary. But here Jesus accepts Peter's adversarial invitation. He says, come. Come on. Step on out. I think it It might be because he already knows what's going to happen. That even the skeptic can be drawn out if invited, at least a little ways. But that ultimately they will sink, they will fall, they will fear the unknown and the absence of certainty that comes with stepping out of the natural order of things. Or perhaps there was something less Intelligible, but ultimately more wonderful going on in that moment. Save me, Peter cries out, and Jesus does. But then he wonders, perhaps a bit ironically, why Peter needed saving at all. He says, Why, why do you still have so little faith? As turbulent and dire as a situation as this is, I can't help but imagine Jesus having a little bit of a twinkle in his eye as he pulled Peter up out of the water. Now, maybe you can identify with Peter's skepticism. I know I certainly can. And maybe maybe you can even identify with Peter's experience of, of trying on the possibility that Jesus is truly the Son of God, that it is really Jesus, that he really did walk on water, That there is something more to this life than what science or even nature can provide us. Something extraordinary, something supernatural. Of course, we all strive for things that we cannot see. But how many of us strive after things that we truly believe are not possible in this world? The things that will bring about real peace and real contentment that will make us finally Feel whole and safe. How many of us even know to strive after such things? Peter captures our attention because of his boldness, but he also captures our attention because of his failure. We can identify with that too, of losing steam, of losing heart. But then he was redeemed and pulled out, and maybe we can identify with that too. But today, my attention is turned to the other 11 disciples. They all stayed in the boat. Last week, we heard how when the disciples were besieged by a storm, they all cried out to Jesus that they were perishing. And he wondered at their lack of faith, at their lack of faith. But today, it's only Peter. Peter is the only one with a little faith. What about the rest of them? Well, the rest of them had heard the words Jesus had said, Do not be afraid. It is I. Or a more direct translation is, I am. The other eleven had stayed in the boat because they recognized the presence of God, the one who has authority over creation, the one whose spirit moves on the waters, whose word was made flesh in Jesus, who had called them to follow him and to not be afraid. They recognized that Jesus was no ghost, that he was not there to harm them, but that he was there for their good. And then their erstwhile colleague, Peter, gets out of the boat, and the other 11 get a show. They get to see, they get to see that same power of God lifting Peter up above the waves, and I wonder if a few of them wondered, wow, could I do that too? But no one followed, because he wasn't up long enough, I suppose. Because they saw what happened. They saw that, Jesus, that Peter was no Jesus. And maybe a few of them scoffed. Maybe a few of them even snuck in a laugh at Peter's expense when he fell into the sea. But then they saw the way Jesus immediately reached out and pulled him up out of the water and brought him back to the boat. And when the two of them had clambered into the boat, the other 11, the ones who'd stayed in the boat, it says, worshipped him and said, truly, you are the son of God. And so this story is indeed a story for those who wonder. It is a story for those who wonder whether and how a miracle could occur, but also for those who simply wonder at the majesty of God. One commentator sums up the meaning of this uh, passage for the ones who stayed in the boat this way. He says, leave the walking on water to Jesus. That boat, which is the church, is where we should be. It can provide the way for us to get to other places so that the disciples of the Son of God can move throughout the land. Thich Han, the Buddhist monk and admirer of Christ, once remarked that the true miracle is not to walk on water. The miracle is to walk on the green earth and dwell deeply in the present moment and feel truly alive. And it is a good thing that our Savior is one who knew how to do both. That he did know how to walk on the water, but also how to lead us in green pastures. Our Savior assures us that we do not need to be afraid. And even when we are uncertain, even when we find ourselves in fearful situations, he is with us to protect us, even to prepare a table for us, at which way we may be nourished and encouraged, at which our cup may run over. And surely, goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives, no matter where the boat is headed. And so I think today it is a good thing to find ourselves in this boat that we call church, to find ourselves on the way, seeking out a distant shore where we can be about the good work of Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening. I hope you heard something in this week's message that inspires you, even moves you. To learn more about Union Congregational Church and our ministries, you can visit our website churchbythepark.org or you can join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10:15 a.m. either here in the sanctuary at 55 Rhodes Avenue or online at facebook.com slash churchbythepark. Our theme music is provided by RKVC. Once again, thank you for listening. And until we meet again, may God's grace and peace be with you.